My name is Erin, and I like journalism. Do you like to sit around for a while? Found yourself a little pet crocodile. Do you like to just live in the moment? Do you like the stars, the moon, and the comets? What do you like, do you like? 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 Welcome to What Do You Like, the podcast where you get to know a person through their passions and hobbies. Today on the podcast, we are breaking new ground. This is a first for the podcast. We're 21 episodes in, and we've hit another first milestone. We are completing a husband and wife pair guests on the podcast. We had our guest tonight's uh, wonderful husband on not too long ago to talk about his passion for books. And today we've upgraded to the better half, to the to the yin to his yang, the the main events of the couple. We're talking to the wonderful Erin Crossett today about her passion for journalism. Welcome to the podcast, Erin. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's an honor. It is truly an honor to have you in the podcast. I've been friends with your husband for a hundred years, it seems. It's minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with you coming into the fold the last few years, it's been nice to kind of see someone else that could deal with your husband. Deal with the Jake. Yeah. yeah. The, and and the wrestling obsession and yeah. all of that. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's more less of a dealing with the wrestling as I <laughs> more of like embracing it and understanding it's like amazing thing and i'm sure that's what you meant by fostering yes yeah. exactly but we're not talking about wrestling today although i could talk about that for a long time nope. we are talking about your passion for journalism indeed so to get into this conversation like i start every podcast where did journalism enter into your life yeah so journal i mean journalism is obviously like a very um kind of a catch-all term but i guess what i'm it's sort of uh you know i became really interested in politics and sort of international politics and domestic politics probably in college um and then you know i live in dc i've been in dc for almost uh 10 years now obviously a very political city um and for my job, I, you know, a lot of this, the work I do is focused on public policy. So I think for a long time, I've just cared a lot about um, what's going on, you know, the news and everything. And then I think obviously for a lot of people, you know, 2016 election and with like, there's just so much to keep track of in the past four years um, because of Trump that it just became, it just felt, it be, kind of became less of a hobby and maybe more of like an obsession. Like I was just constantly checking the news and, uh, you know, various outlets that I like or don't like to kind of, you know, keep tabs on them. So I don't know, it's been, it's been a pretty like organic uh, progression, but there's just, I just consume a lot of it. I consume a lot of, a lot of journalism, a lot of media. Interesting. So uh, let's, let's go back to, when you're a child, like, did you ever like read the newspaper? Was it, or did you like you mirror know, your parents and be like, no, well, I need yeah, to. 
no, I don't have like, I don't have one of those like sweet stories. Like, Oh, you know, when I was, when I learned how to walk, like I, the first thing I went to was like, uh, you know, the New York times, like, no, I think, you know, my parents, right. We got the paper, um, the New York times and the Pittsburgh post Gazette. Um, maybe not even the New York times, maybe just the post Gazette. Uh, and like, you know, I, no, I, I don't, I think I like, you know, sort of kept track of the news vaguely, like in high school. Um, but it really just became something I got into in college. And maybe it was because that was like, you know, the early mid aughts was like the heyday of like blogging. So the internet and there were a lot of good bloggers then. Um, Gawker was around, which I was a pretty big fan of, sort of. So I, I can't like attribute it to one thing in particular. I mean, I think college is, is definitely a time where I think a lot of people kind of open their minds and be like, well, I should know things there. Cause you get, at least my experience, when I got to college, there's a lot of people that knew a lot of stuff. And I was like, how are they, how do they know all this? Oh, they watch the news. They read the newspaper. They totally, they, they look online. Like they actually take the time to, to know things. I should probably do that too. It's almost like a peer pressure thing initially. Yeah. And I think like, I think that's definitely right. And I think that there's like, especially since, you know, I grew up born and raised in um, in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. Like I didn't, you know, I was really interested in international relations, international development type stuff. And, but I like, you know, I I hadn't really traveled outside the U S much. So I was kind of like, well, short of actually going and living and being in these places, how can I, get to know more about them and their history and it's like well one really easy way is low cost way is just to start actually understanding like what's going on there now so what um when you went to college what was your major that you were gonna and did you stick with it the entire time uh so i majored in international relations which is like kind of a silly way of saying like inter international politics sort of mm-hmm. um and then i minored in arabic which i don't really uh didn't really keep up with um and i think i was pretty i wasn't sure what i was going to do when i got to college but i think about a year or so in i i decided i uh declared or whatever you do i forget how that all works okay. um and then yeah for the most part i stuck with it See, that's such a better system. When I went to college, you basically had to declare your major as you came in because what you were going to major in determined like the admission qualifications for my school. So I changed my major four times after I got in. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's hard. It's like hard to ask an 18 year old, like, what do you want to be? Yeah. And, and I mean, they, an 18 year old will give you an answer. A hundred percent of the time they'll give you an answer. It's just probably the wrong answer. So what was your um, what was your first major and what was your last? When I entered in, I was doing uh, secondary education math. Okay. Um, then I realized in order to finish that, I need to basically major in math, and that was not going to happen. I was in Calc two in college, and they were doing things that I was like, I hate all of this. I don't understand any of this. <laughs> this, this isn't is, going to work out. This is my first semester in college. <laughs> I'm out. So I switched to uh, middle level education because my school had a like a middle school program. Okay. It's one of the two schools in the state that had that. 
And then I was enjoying that. I liked a lot of those classes. But then I realized I didn't want to deal with the politics of being a, a public school teacher. And I didn't yeah. want to deal with the low pay of a private school teacher. <laughs> um, so I was like, no, I'm out. And then I did social work for a day. That's a whole nother story. And then I graduated sociology, which I do oh, not regret cool. at all. Uh, because it really leads into having conversations like this. It does. Sociology um, is actually is a great major. I have regrets about. Uh, I think that would be better than international relations. So I'm envious. Uh, it has its, its, its uh, positives and negatives. Uh, there's no one in the sociology department that uh, minored in Arabic. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's. Understandably so. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's there's fair. benefits to all. But to go back to college, so you are 19, 20, mm-hmm. when you declare, I'm going to do international business. You've had a year of college to kind of find your passion for wanting to know what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. You go through school, you mm-hmm. graduate. What's what's the next step? Like you have this yeah. passion for for journalism and, and the world. What 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 is next for for young Aaron? So this is a good question. So okay, so I was I was very interested in like I said international development, um, understanding you know kind of the basically like why are some countries so wealthy and other countries have such widespread poverty? Like that was kind of the main motivating question in my head. I was particularly interested in the Middle East, which is why I. Uh, studied Arabic and then the Arab Spring happened um that was let's see June, my June in what 2010 so that was like right before we graduated so there was um I wanted to live abroad after college and because of the Arab Spring there were fewer opportunities to do so um a lot of just kind of government money and I know like Fulbright wasn't operating in a lot of uh, Arab countries anyway so I kind of was like all right well, what am I what am I going to do now so I, I got a fellowship to teach in Vietnam. So I moved to Vietnam for a year and I taught English at a community college there, um, which was great and challenging uh, and, but a good opportunity. Uh, but then again, you know, that was also kind of another period where I was like, okay, well I'm going, and I had like, I did not speak Vietnamese. I had never been to Vietnam before. I'd never been to Southeast Asia before I spent like, you know, I studied abroad in Jordan. So like I traveled around the Middle East and I was in a new place. And so again, there was kind of this urge to be like, well, there's, you know, Vietnam as an American, we obviously like, I have some understanding of the history, you know, as it pertains to like US Vietnamese relations, but um, Vietnam has like just a very long, fascinating history. And so I was kind of like, well, how, you know, well, how am I gonna moving there in a couple months? Like, let's start reading up. And so, um, yeah, just kind of found some writers and uh, that I liked that focused on Southeast Asia and just kind of, you know, turned to, to journalism to sort of uh, help me figure out kind of what was going on there now. That's, Vietnam's a really interesting case though, because of the US's history with Vietnam was it difficult to kind of find journalism that really painted a 
I guess, fair picture. Yeah, that's a good question. It. I think, it, I think, the, I think so. And I think actually I like, it's just now, you know, it's been 10 years since I lived there. And like, I have obviously, I think I may be a more, a somewhat more savvy consumer of uh, journalism and writing. I, yeah, I think it, it was really hard. And I think Vietnam is unique in that it, it's, um, when people think about Vietnam, they just, a lot of people, especially Americans think about the war and think about like, oh, well, war reporting and, um, but in fact, like Vietnam is, you know, a rapidly industrializing country and it's becoming, um, you know, it's kind of hailed as this like success story for um, basically becoming um, a lot wealthier relative to sort of some of its peer countries um, like Laos and Cambodia. And so Vietnam is just like undergoing a lot of rapid changes and their political system um is quite different than a lot of others in the region but you still i feel like there's still so there's basically just a lot to sort of learn about that country um and has a fascinating history and culture but it still sort of gets pegged as like oh well like you know if you if like you can't talk about vietnam without talking about the war and like on some hand that's true like obviously the legacy of the war is uh, it casts a huge shadow over the country in many ways, but just like any war does anywhere. But um, yeah, I think it. I think it for. I think it is hard, especially for Western journalists, to kind of write about the region and in Vietnam in particular in a way that feels accurate. But I guess that kind of goes to the question of like objectivity and journalism, and and that's kind of like you know I don't actually come like I don't I enjoy journalism. I consume a lot of it, but like a lot of that stuff is just kind of like, you know, I'm not a journalist by training, so I don't really, um, I'm not always sure how to like think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good that, uh, well, you mentioned you, you, you sought out like multiple sources. Um, I think that's important to kind of say like, uh, well, what, what is the same between, cause you said like, that's the interesting part of journalism is, is there are people writing it. Um, not they're not computers so there's going to be something that they're going to bring to that which a lot of times i think is beneficial because every person has a personal history and especially yeah. when you when you're dealing with like inter- people covering international things totally yeah and i think like there's also been again going back to kind of like the rise of blogging i think there's been sort of this like interesting democratization of journalism where it used to, you know it used to be really old guard it used to be you kind of have these um this or I had these this image of like, you know, war reporting in Vietnam or just the New York Times bureaus around the world. And it was like a lot of, you know, white men in these types of roles. And um, it was there were a lot of gatekeepers. You know, you had journalists at a lot of like the big media outlets and then came, you know, the Internet and then just people behind a computer who had interesting opinions and perspectives. And so I think. Um, the most important thing I think when you're going to a place, when I was going to a place like Vietnam is just to like find local, you know, not even report, just writers and people who are, who are Vietnamese, who've lived there for a long time, um, you know, are currently living there or are, you know, expats. Um, And so I think that that's been, that's been really beneficial. And that's something that I've liked is sort of finding writers that, um, especially early in their career are, I just, 
you know, kind of find through word of mouth or mouth or whatever. And then um, it's been fun to kind of sort of uh, follow them over time as they, you know, some of them do enter sort of the mainstream uh, media outlets and others just kind of, you know, they stay more kind of like low key independent writers. And that's, I think that's cool. I mean, that definitely speaks a lot to, the impact the internet has had. And we mentioned early on, like your passion for journalism developed even after the internet is kind of established. Um, so let's kind of dive into there. Like, can you imagine what this world would be like right now without the internet? And we just had like print and television journalism. Yeah, it's weird. I I don't. I mean, it's hard to say what what the world would look like if without the internet, because it's been like you know Twitter, which for all of its flaws, and there are many. I mean, and that's a separate that's a separate uh, podcast we can have. Yeah, that. But we're gonna try to stay positive on this podcast and not dive into the the, the deep depths of Twitter. Yeah, but one of the benefits of it is that, like, you know, if you have, I, I have a well curated Twitter feed with all, you know, it's filled with a lot of writers, again, from main, big mainstream media outlets and also just kind of like people who are, um, you know, freelancers or just getting their feed wet or whatever. And so, and that goes back to the democratization of journalism and also just kind of like you get a more, uh, Twitter is free, you know, it's all over the world. All you need is an internet connection. Uh, well, and a country that allows access to Twitter, but that's a separate issue. And so it allows, there's been, you know, you're allowed, like you're able to access perspectives that otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have access to because of the gatekeepers that I talked about earlier. So I think that that's been a really amazing um, kind of outcome of Twitter is that, you know, you kind of have insight into these like, little like sub communities that other like that you just might not encounter otherwise um and so i think that there's been a lot more attention on you know diversifying newsrooms and trying and kind of like you know racially and socioeconomically um and i think that there was a big uh, understandably and importantly after you know George Floyd, the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd and um the ensuing protests this summer there was like a i think a lot of uh journalists rightfully called out you know places like the new yorker and new york times for not really practicing what they preach and not having you know newsrooms that prioritize things like you know understanding um you know the way that black people are treated by the police for example and so uh and a lot of these writers got you know got large twitter followings throughout the years by sort of you know blogging or or just putting out articles on um, their blog, and I guess now like Substack is the new the new thing to use. But I think that that's been pretty incredible. Uh, what you described there is, seems like uh, a society that is now like policing its its journalists, um, but in a in a good way almost. Being like, hey, you're you're not viewing the full picture, please get more voices and like that can, can speak to the full picture. Yeah. I think that it, it and I, I think that it just, it um, ensures more accountability 
for you know these kind of like mastheads or these higher up in new newsrooms i think if someone has if there's if you know if you're a, a young writer and not even young if you're a writer and do you have a large um you know you have 200,000 followers on twitter because you know you put out a lot of interesting perspectives and a lot of interesting writing and then uh you know you're treated like shit by you know the powers that be at you know the washington post or whatever um which happened with wesley lowry then um you know that you can actually hold those people accountable um and let readers and subscribers know that like hey this is how you know how this publication is treating its writers and i think i'm definitely over overly simplifying things like i said like i'm not some sort of like journalism insider. I've never worked at any of these places. I don't know anything, <laughs> but yeah. my perspective is that it like from, from, from an outsider's perspective, at least it seems to me like um, it's it, a positive step forward. Sure. And I think uh, the good thing about this podcast is I don't, I don't bring on uh, high level experts that know absolutely everything in the field. This is not an informational podcast. This is a podcast where someone shares something they're passionate about. Yeah. I'm um, just an idiot who reads a lot of, you know, who reads a lot of news. <laughs> I will say this. You're not an idiot. <laughs> Hello everyone. This is your host, Jeremy Zaha jumping in really quick. In this middle of this wonderful episode with Aaron um, to make sure that in this holiday season that I wish each and every one of you a very happy holidays a merry christmas happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa all the wonderful holidays in the season it's been a great time creating these podcasts having these interviews these conversations with these people um, and i want to make sure that uh, i took some time to make sure i thanked each and every one of you oh uh hold on sorry about this uh hello Hey, what's up, Jeremy? Uh, I was listening to your podcast, and I wanted to jump in real quick, if you didn't mind. Well, uh, hey, hi, hi, Julio. Um, how are you listening to my pod? That, that, that doesn't matter, man. It, it just If you don't mind, I wanted to share something real quick. Uh, I was really getting into everything you were saying about it being the holiday spirit and how we have to share some love and things like that. And um, that really inspired me, man. Uh, you've been doing really awesome and killing it with these commercials for Gorilla Publishing on your podcast, and we greatly appreciate that, man. And your listeners got to know some of the titles that we offer. So with it being that season, the giving and sharing love season, uh, us at Gorilla Publishing want to continue that and actually want to get books to your listeners. Wait, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Let's Team Up. And let's do a gorilla publishing prize pack just for your listeners, man. My gosh, Julio, I love that idea. Let's do something that must be done in the year 2020. Let's do a social media giveaway. All anyone has to do, all they have to do is follow the podcast Twitter at WDYL podcast. Find this week's tweet advertising this podcast with Aaron and then retweet that and like that tweet. That's all they have to do. Follow like retweet. 
they do those three things, they're automatically entered into the giveaway of this wonderful prize from Gorilla Publishing. Can't be any easier than that. What do you think about that, Julio? Man, I love the way you think, man. See, this is why we're boys, dude. This is why we why we team up and do things. Absolutely. And I just love the idea of, of spreading some joy. Uh, but we should uh, we should give everyone plenty of time to enter this this contest. Why don't we give them until Monday, January fourth at noon? That sounds great, man. Well, now that we kind of got that out of the way, I hope you had a absolutely wonderful Christmas, and it was absolutely wonderful to talk to you. But um, can uh, can I get back to finishing this podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, man. Sorry for interrupting. But yeah, man. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and your listeners, man. Uh, I'll catch you later. Absolutely. Bye, Julio. Later, man. And for everyone out there, make sure you find the tweets. Make sure you follow the account at WDYL podcast. Make sure you like it and retweet it and make sure you're entered into this wonderful holiday Thank you giveaway. With that, let's jump right back into the podcast. But you bring up a really good good point in that in this in this world of the internet, like everyone has a voice. Um, and it seems like some people are using it for good and some people are using it for bad. And you mentioned earlier on in the podcast the era of Trump. Um I, the way I said that was intentional. Um, uh, this is not a necessarily a political podcast, but they're the people on this podcast have political views. So if you don't like it, you can turn it off. Um, Sorry. But how you mentioned how it became, it went from a passion to an obsession. Can you, Without getting too dark into this, <laughs> yeah. What was that transition like? And when yeah. did you when did you realize like, oh wait, this is this is guy even more intense than before? All right, that's a really good question. And to give a coherent answer, I'd probably have to think about it more. But like, I think it's a couple of things. I think one is like politics got. I think one of it's like you know I get older, I get more cynical. I'm naturally kind of a pessimistic person. Politics got so much darker um, after Trump was elected. Everything just seemed, you know, just increasingly more grim. Um, you had the pandemic and COVID, like every, it was just kind of like unrelenting. And so on the one hand, I was like, well, I, ha- I have to, I felt like it was like, you know, my civic duty to like understand what's going on because these are super high stakes issues, right? Um, like the governance of our country and how we, treat other countries and the fact that like you know millions of people around the world are dying from this virus on the other hand i was like i can't take it like it's just like day after day it's just like unrelenting and there's terrible news and like last you know january is when i kind of became obsessed with like tracking covid and i was like i I thought it was going to be bad and and so it just like takes a huge toll on your mental health so it's it's been hard to kind of like on one hand, want to be informed and make sure that I'm like, you know, it's good to be informed and and kind of stay angry and hold all of these powerful people who are running our country to account. And on the other hand, it's like, at what point do you just like take, take a minute and like, 
realize that whether or not you follow the news for a week, like that's not going to change the outcome. It's not going to really change anything, the trajectory of anything in the country. So like, I, I haven't really found a good, um, like the right balance of those two things. Uh, I think I mostly err on just like suffering and just reading, like just still consuming everything. But I, I've tried, I think a little bit, especially since like quarantine to, to be a little bit more mindful of like my media diet. But yeah, it's hard, especially like you said, like, you know, the cost of having like cool, new, interesting writers with different perspectives is like, you get a lot of shitty, racist, sexist, like, you know, crazy right-wingers who, um, anti-vaxxers, you know, it's just, uh, that a lot of opinions that I think don't warrant, um, readership, you know, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's the hard thing with a, a truly free press and that you can literally write, have, have an opinion on anything. Um, you have to label it opinion, obviously. Um, and if that is something that speaks to someone, whether or not it holds any water, um, there's going to be a listenership or readership, whatever it is. Um, I, but I think that really speaks to like with everything good, there's bad. With the, as I mentioned in the very beginning, the yin and the yang. Uh, we'll come back to there. There, there's never going to be like a utopia but i think it's really important that you mentioned you have an understanding that there are times that this is the consuming of so much media is too much i think that that's kind of the future i think of of me yeah yeah and i think like another thing is like and i said you know i mentioned earlier i'm naturally a pessimistic person and i think i'm i'm um you know getting more and more cynical um as I get older, I mean, I know that we're still, you know, relatively young, but I guess the other thing too, is that, and this is just kind of a random thought I had, but I'm kind of interested in your take on it. Is it like, I think something else that came, like another reason, another way that journalism has been affected, like everything by the Trump era, as you called it, is that, you know, he has done everything in his power to sort of denigrate the free press and to, um, cast out on like just the concept of news <laughs> like and so and I think the, you know understandably so there's been this response this like reaction to that by the press to to say like well you know having a free press is kind of central to um you know holding powerful people to account yada 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 that's all that's all well and good but I think something that that sometimes drives me crazy is that I think also there's been this like tendency for journalists uh, and i'm obviously I, i'm um painting with a what is it with a wide wide brush i'm really yeah me- messing that one up uh, no there's there's no wrong answer on this podcast <laughs> but uh, i think that there's like a, a tendency for a lot of journalists to be um just very self-righteous and being kind of like oh well I, like you know we are bearing this burden and, and the whole washington post like democracy dies in darkness like on the one hand sure i get it on the other hand like guys come on like like every you know we're all we're all doing what we can right now to like get by but i just i do get frustrated with this like feeling i get sometimes like journalists are like 
you know, doing God's work and um, I don't know, but you know, that's just like a curmudgeon opinion. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it speaks a lot to like just the, the humans natural idea of tribalism. Um, the, the Trump has created a line in the sand. Now, if there's a line in the sand, that means there needs to be people on both sides. So he's created a competition, which if the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So now it seems like the entire media, well, not the entire media, the entire, I'm, I'm going to say it, the entire reasonable media has united against him. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. And I, yeah. yeah, I think, I think what you said is exactly right. Like I think when, whenever you create like by Trump sort of, you know, um, just constantly, like I said, denigrating the, the press and with his supporters also, you know, all of this whole fake news nonsense. And yeah, I think it, it, it makes sense that you see this kind of like equal but opposite reaction coming from, you know, supporters of journalism and, and journalists um, that are saying, like, well, actually that's, you know, that's insane. And we're kind of a, a critical check on your power, but Sometimes it's just kind of like, I just kind of have to roll my eyes and be like, yeah. you know, all right, guys, we get it. But that, so that really speaks to you. I think um, when you're seeking out your news, your your the journalists you're speaking or listening to, you definitely, even though, even the ones you trust, you still look at with a critical eye and you're like, what is the motivation? Things like that. Has that always been something you've kind of done? No, I don't think so. And I actually think that this is another weird way that Twitter and social media has like influenced the way that we consume media. Cause I think before, you know, you, like you would read, you pull up the New York times either in print or online and you'd see like a byline and you'd be like, oh, okay, like, you know, you'd, you'd, maybe you'd get familiar with certain writers, but I think Twitter has made it, I feel a lot like I, I, I don't know these people at all, right? These are, they're total strangers, but Twitter and like Instagram and there's, there's this way of making you feel like you kind of know, like get to know the, the journalist and the writer themselves because you know, they're using Twitter to, to like, just to promote their writing, of course. But then you also just see glimpses of their personality and certain, you know, certain journalists are getting in Twitter feuds with other people. And so, and sometimes they, you know, sometimes I don't pay any of this any attention. And sometimes I'm like super deep in like this, like really weird, like, like the minutia of like Twitter journalism beef, which is so stupid, but I don't, you know, it's just like, this, that's why it's like this weird obsession, passion of mine. Um, but yeah, that, so that's like a weird, that's like a weird development now where I, I feel like, and I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. I don't think it's a good thing. Um, I guess in some ways it could be, but I think it is sort of weird. I, like at the end of the day, like I said, these people are strangers, but I do feel like for reasons I can't fully understand, like certain journalists, I'm like, oh yeah, this person, like, you know, I like their writing, but like, they kind of, they rub me the wrong way. Or like, oh, but I, and it's like, that that's insane. I don't actually know these people at all they couldn't yeah. i could they couldn't pick me out of a crowd of one <laughs> well i think i think that does speak again to like the the change in in the media landscape and you mentioned like twitter feuds between writers it's almost like you are at the the next level of um 
like tabloid. So we're saying like everyone else is still focused on Kardashians and you're like, well, this New York Times writer has a has a beef with a Chicago Sun Times writer. And it's like this is this is this is the like I know it's really pathetic. I need to get another hobby, but it's I don't I don't know. I, no, because I mean the other option is to just reality television. So yeah. I I feel like those are the two options today to get your fix on uh on, yeah. on the drama of, totally. of life. And I guess actually, so one other thing I was just thinking of when we were talking about like the, the you know the self-righteousness of a lot of journalists now is that I think another reaction that I really love again, because I think sorry to reiterate it again. I hope people don't think that I'm like a super scrooge uh curmudgeon-y person but um i i there's this kind of this like again this collection of i think writers especially le- like leftist writers but um there's probably people in the center on the right too that i just don't i'm not familiar with i think there's like a, there's a, a couple of writers who are very uh kind of respond to that like mock other journalists for that and i think um sort of have a more like nihilistic view towards journalism and like, oh, like all of our politicians are corrupt and, um, you know, we live in this like kind of doomed capitalist society. And some of it, and I'm again, I'm kind of painting, like making that caricature out of these people. But I think a lot of that, I'm really receptive to a lot of that. I think part of it's because like I hate decorum and there's a lot of these like journal, old school journalist traditions um, like kind of, you know, being deferential to your subjects and to, you know, you, you, you're an access journalist, you need to get, um, you know, access to, you know, people within the White House. So you're willing to maybe write a little bit, be a little bit more favorable to whatever Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, and again, as an outsider and someone who doesn't have to sort of negotiate these things, um, I just think that that's ridiculous and I hate it. And so that's kind of why I liked like Gawker and Deadspin and, and those types of like blogs and the journalists who write for them, because I feel like their whole approach is like, you know, just kind of these people are corrupt and they're kind of out to criticize everyone, which I, I sort of really admire. <laughs> yeah. I think to look at society as a whole, I think there's, there's a need for all of that. I think there definitely is, a need for people that are like, well, I don't care any of the consequences. This needs to be shared. Um, I think totally. I think it's also the the role of the person who, like, um, the book that just came out earlier this year with uh, what's his name? You're you're the journalism expert uh, <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> See, from Water from Watergate. Oh, 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 um, um, uh, Woodward. Woodward. Bob Woodward, yeah. Where he was able to just talk to the president, what, 29 times on the phone and got like yeah. insane information because, I mean, he was cordial with the president. Right. And he, so I think there there is the benefit to, to both sides. I mean, at the end of the day, I think both the goal is to report on the truth and right. what, what is really out there. I think that is the key to journalism. But with the development of the whole fake news movement, um, what is kind of your trick to know? Now, 
let's be clear the the fake i'm doing uh finger quotes air quotes uh, yeah so if this is not as an audio medium i should figure out a way to <laughs> to express that but the, the the fake news or whatever that's our president speaks of is not fake news that's the real news um but there's a lot of like because like twitter and facebook uh anyone can post anything there's a lot of things that are being posted that are just not true um, to kind of sway public opinion a certain way. What kind of tools do you use um, to kind of know what you're, you're reading as a trusted source and what should people look out to in case, in case there are people listening to this that are like, I mean, it's on Facebook. So I, I listen to it. Like what, yeah. sh- what should people be looking out for? Well, you know, I think I'm, I'm not, uh, I've got my tried and trues, you know, I've got my, my media diet is diverse, but it's still, you know, my first, the first thing I go to in the morning is the New York times. Right. Even though sometimes the, a lot of times it frustrates me and it has issues like any institution, like the journalism is credible for the most part. And, um, you know, they are, they're trustworthy. They're trustworthy. And I think very seasoned um, reporters. So I think, and I think you're going to get that at a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the kind of the main, not necessarily mainstream, but like a lot of your, you know, the Washington Post and Boston Globe and all of those kind of those big timey uh, newsrooms that have been around for a really long time. I guess the issue that you have, the things you have to avoid and I guess another thing is, you know, I just, I just kind of have the, the writers that I like, um, and I have, and I think they're, they're all, most of them are, you know, political, if not political writers, they write about politics, and I think their politics often reflect my own. So, um, so that's more kind of like opinion writing and commentary. I think for my advice to people is just like, if I just be, gosh, everything on Facebook everything that's shared on Facebook seems to just be trash. (laughs) And I don't really use Facebook anymore. Um, But judging from what distant relatives post, it's just like, if something is coming from, just look at where you're getting your news. The Gateway Pundit is not, it's not a rep, they don't have fact checkers. It's not a reputable newsroom. Um, And so, and you know, but they're not labeling things as, you know, commentary or opinion or editorials. These these are things that are being um, that are being labeled as kind of as news. And so it's disturbing. I wish I had a better like uh, solution for how to address this on like a systematic or you know societal scale because it's uh, it's you know it's undermining confidence in things like the vaccines now and it's it's very problematic. But like I said, I'm just an idiot who reads a lot of news, so I don't have any good solutions. <laughs> I think we're all, in some ways, idiots that read some news. <laughs> um, I mean that. I mean that. I think that is the the human nature again. Is um, we have these massive brains that can do so much, but sometimes we just fill it with complete garbage. Um, but you are actually someone who has taken the time to kind of tailor some information to 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 fill that massive brain with something useful how has your life um changed but when from when you look back to like 
childhood when you really didn't take time to to consume this media to 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 look out for journalism how have you changed as a person i think i'm just way more informed for better or for worse i mean i think i'm uh like i said it's kind of an obsession um so sometimes like i think i'm just uh informed with kind of like you know take you know to give an example from what's happening right now like this stimulus bill that trump hasn't signed and so two major federal unemployment programs are ceased to exist at midnight and so you have you know millions of unemployed people who are kind of waiting in limbo um, to see if and when those will be reinstated and which is extremely uh, shameful so you know I have I'm just very informed uh, about things that are happening in the political realm. I also think I'm probably more depressed as a result of it. Um, and I think, and this is a, you know, I'm not in no way am I trying to come off as like, Oh, you know, I'm holier than thou because I read all of this news. I think if anything, it's kind of made me more set in my ways, which is uh, probably not, not a good thing, but I, I do think that there is this tendency to kind of, be like, oh, I, you know, I read all of the writers that I really like, and uh, and I, I'm I, I'm pretty sure that my perspective on this is uh, is the right one, and I think that that's um, that's definitely something that I I don't think is is good necessarily, but I think that just kind of comes along with this like just just reading too much too much news. <laughs> There's just too much, yeah. too much going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, and there's just so much out there too. I mean, again, we talk about the, the rise of the internet before you had the option of maybe two newspapers in your town. And that's if you had, you were in a big city and then whatever's on the nightly news. Um, now it's just coming from everywhere. And I think as humans, we haven't, it happened so quickly that we haven't fully adjusted as to what that is. But I think it is important that we have people like you that are passionate about that and are, are are kind of driving the way through this new world and focusing on what's going on in the world. Um, oh, hopefully. I mean, I, I guess one other thing I just want to mention is that I, I feel like we focused a lot on political journalism, which is probably because that's primarily what I read. I think another way, a way that I'm trying to sort of counter this, you know, uh, news induced depression is by reading more um, cultural commentary and, uh, you know, food journalism. I think that we're living in like the heyday of, of that. And so, and there are some really great, the New York Times cooking has some great uh, writers and New Yorker during Saint Felix, which is one of my favorite names. She's like the new TV critic at the New Yorker and she's got some great takes. So uh, I'm hopeful that in 2021, I will be, I will be a more optimistic person and I will be a happier person because both the political landscape is changing. And also um, there are, there's just a lot of great rating that's focused on kind of like the, just the good everyday joys that we have at our disposal. Yeah. And there, that, that reminds me of, um, I think it was Anchorman. Uh, 
outside of the the sexist part of this, when they sent um, Christina Applegate, wherever wherever her name was, I remember, to cover the puppy parade or puppy fashion show, right? Am I remembering it correctly? <laughs> it was like seen as demeaning, and and it it was, but covering like the news covering that, I think, kind of falls into, hey, we're gonna cover every murder, but we know that as humans, they can't just just consume that yeah so that's interesting yeah no just really quickly on that there's uh i also yeah long form i recommend folks listening um they just have like self-explanatory a lot of really great long for a collection of long form pieces from you know all various outlets and uh i typically read some when i can't sleep at night so a couple days ago i was reading one it was published like 10 years ago i think maybe in the washington post um, and it was all about the big zucchini or the great zucchini. This like this guy who in DC, the DC area, who like he's basically this like children's birthday party mogul, but he has like a very dark, kind of like a dark past. Anyways, the story was completely insane, and uh, I highly recommend it. But I also uh, that, I'm also a big fan of exactly what you're talking about, just kind of like really in depth detailed reporting on just like just these total characters that exist yes exactly i think that is we're almost have with the the change in the media we have to kind of add that ourselves we no longer have the nightly news to show us the squirrel uh water skiing we have to (laughs) find that ourselves i mean realistically that's probably what youtube is for youtube is the yeah is, is, is again the yin and the yang (laughs) <laughs> that is that is the theme of this podcast it seems that's it that's right um but yeah so everyone out there if you're in the the same boat as aaron and you're down hopefully this not down you're not down but the the negativity is coming in too much hopefully this podcast is there to to brighten your day um and if not just google not google youtube the water, the squirrels that are yeah. water skiing. Yeah. Yeah. Or a a, one I really, I have mixed emotions. The guy that um, does a cannonball onto ice. Oh, God. I, it is, it is the, the. Did the he break moment. his legs? No. You haven't seen it? No. Oh, okay. Well, that's what we'll do when we finish up this interview. Um, that's horrifying. It is, but also amazing. <laughs> okay, um, it, it, that is the yin and the yang within five seconds <laughs> of just like terror and then also hilarity. Um, but as we finish up, I know we mentioned this when your husband Jake was on here. He is not the the sole person behind all the old poisons, the online bookstore. Uh, you are absolutely just as much to do with it. So would you like to tell people how they can find this bookstore and uh, a little bit about it, if you'd like? Sure. Yeah. So Jake and I, um, Jake was on to talk about his love of books and uh, in particular used books. So we have an online used bookstore called All the Old Poisons. Um, There's a square site. I think it's all the old poisons at square dot something. I'm obviously really bad at marketing and promoting this, but you can also look on our Instagram, which is at all the old poisons books and check out our stuff. Um, and yeah, happy reading.
Yeah, and realistically, Instagrams where all the business is being done now anyway. Yeah, it's uh, just like a mall now. Yeah, so. you, you don't need to know websites anymore. Yeah, who, who needs to know that? Yeah, I, I have a website, but I don't, I have it just because I felt like I, I was pressured by society. You are standing up to it. <laughs> um, but speaking of the website, you can reach the podcast at what do you like podcast.com or go to our um, Instagram at, at what do you like podcast. And then if you listen to the middle of the show, you heard a commercial about a giveaway. Make sure you find the tweet on uh, WDYL podcast on Twitter. Um, make sure you like and follow and retweet it to enter into that giveaway. Uh, again, Aaron, I thank you very much for taking time on this. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it is the holiday season, and it's nice to be able to see friends during this time. Um, everyone listening, hopefully you had a wonderful Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. Hope you have a wonderful Kwanzaa if you celebrate Kwanzaa. Hope you have a wonderful Festivus if you celebrate Festivus. Hopefully there wasn't airing of too many grievances in this time, um, but there probably was even more realistically. Um, I hope that as we move into the new year, good luck for everyone in 2021. We will see you in 2021 with a, another one of these episodes. Uh, we post them every Tuesday conversations like this, or people just talk about their passions. Um, so feel free to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and tell a friend, if you like what we were doing here, we always appreciate this. Um, Aaron, again, I'm going to say it one more time. Thank one you for time. being here. Thank you for having me. I love your podcast. I uh, very much appreciate that. And everyone listening, we will see you next time.